these guys for playing for us today. Thank you so much, guys. All right, as you guys know, by now, on Sunday mornings, we like to mix in discussions with teaching. So if you're an intern, volunteer, or just a bold student that wants to help lead discussion at your table, come get a discussion question sheet from up here at the front. I make you guys burn calories by uh, just passes out, if you will. Thanks, Kim. All right. We still have a few leaders out today, but most of them are here. So, yeah, great hair, Elizabeth. Or, not Elizabeth, Rebecca. Oh, I just called you Elizabeth. That's never happened before. Hey, I feel for you. I'm the youngest of my family, and I was always called by other names. Some of them were bad names. Um, all right. All right, we doing okay today? Everybody okay? Um, all right, we're doing a series called Why We Don't Believe. We're exploring questions that people have about the faith and things that might hinder them from coming to faith or questions that even Christians have uh, that keep them from really diving in well, with both feet in the faith. And so today um, is more of a statement than a question, but um, there's this idea out there that Christianity is like a straitjacket, okay? There's this idea among a lot of people that Christianity is restrictive, it's confining, it's like a straitjacket. I actually have a picture of a straitjacket, what that looks like. This is a straitjacket, what they wear in the loony bin. And uh, doesn't this look very haunting? There's not even a person inside of it, but it just looks like it's just freaky, okay? Um, but, of course, this is more than handcuffs. This is someone who would wear this if they're arrested, if they're a criminal, and they don't want them moving their arms around and killing somebody, okay? And so there are people that, that think of, of Christianity in this light. There's like a straitjacket. You can't, you're constricted, you're constrained, and you cannot, you don't have freedom when you're a Christian, okay? Now, I want to put the question to you this morning. Is God really trying to steal our joy? Because on the surface, it does at least appear that way. We have to admit at least that. I'll give you an example. Even with food... It appears like God is trying to steal our joy, right? You guys had donuts this morning. Are donuts good for you? But do they taste good? So why is it that everything good for you tastes bad, and everything bad for you tastes so good, right? I mean... Why, let me ask you this question. Why can't a green bean taste like a Twinkie? Why not? Because here's my opinion. If green beans tasted like Twinkies, we'd all be really healthy. So why did God set things up where everything that tastes good is really bad for you, but everything that tastes bad is actually good for you, right? And it's not just true of food, but it's also true in life that it seems like, at least on the surface, that the good things are always the hard thing, right? That's what it appears on the surface. We have to admit at least that, all right? So here's your first three questions at your tables. Why do you think many see the Christian faith in this way, like having to wear a straitjacket? Number two, do you think that even Christians see it this way, and why or why not? And I want you guys to do an exercise after that where you pretend like one person at your table is a brand new Christian. And everyone else at the table is going to describe to them what they can and can't do now that they're a Christian. All right? So go ahead and discuss those questions.
Okay. Good discussion. Yeah, I can tell you guys are lively on these questions. All right, bring your attention back to the front for a few moments, and we'll get back into some more discussion in just a little bit. But here is the big idea. We have to admit, we have to admit that at least on the surface, it appears that Christianity is a straitjacket. We have to admit at least that on the surface, it appears that way. In fact, I would say that this is probably the most important talk we've had to this point in this series because this is where a lot of you are this morning. You see Christianity as a straitjacket. You see it as restricting. You see it as confining. And that's all you see it as. In fact, there are people in the room that I'm, I'm sure of it this morning. There are people in this room right now that have not yet chosen to follow Christ because this is the very thing holding you back. This idea that, that following Christ is just a bunch of rules. That's the very thing holding some of you back in this room right now. And there are some people in the room who you might be a believer, but you hate being one. Because you see it this way. You you, you almost regret being a Christian because you feel like you're missing out on real life. There might even be some people in the room that your parents are really legalistic, they're very rule-based, and they've taught you a Christian faith that is just that. It's just rules. You follow these rules, you do this, you don't do this, and that's all it is. There's no relationship involved. That's, it's just a bunch of rules. That might be you as well. Here's some quotes for you to look at. These are some quotes by people that are having these kinds of issues with the Christian faith. This first person says, Christians believe that they have the absolute truth, that everyone else has to believe or else. That attitude endangers everyone's freedom. Next quote. A one-truth-fits-all approach is just too confining. The Christians I know don't seem to have the freedom to think for themselves. I believe each individual must determine truth for him or herself. You guys will go to college in the next couple of years. Some of you guys will go to college in a few months. And uh, one of the things you'll hear in college is you must define truth for yourself. You are the creator of your own truth. In fact, in the uh, Supreme Court, there was a case, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, a few years ago. And in the Supreme Court, they actually have this statement in their decision on this case. Here's what it says. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning of the universe, and the mystery of human life. Even the Supreme Court in the U.S. teaches this. As a nation, we embrace this idea of independence. No one else tells me what to do. That's against freedom. If we're going to be free, then absolute truth cannot exist. You can't have both. That's what they think. So notice that it says we can define truth for ourselves. The Supreme Court thinks that you can define your own truth, your own existence. So today, our big point is this. As we look at John chapter 10 in just a moment, our big point is this. Freedom is more complex than you think. We're going to explore this idea of freedom and what it really looks like in the Christian life. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. John chapter 10. And if you're new to the Bible, it's the fourth book of the New Testament. There you go. John 10, verses, we're going to start at verse 1, and we'll read the verse 6 starting off. Here's what Jesus says. 
I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters the gate, enters by the gate, is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. How many of you feel the same way? You're asking, what is he talking about in that passage? Now, uh, I want you to do some observation questions. And this is not getting into meaning, it's just observation. What do you see in this passage? So your next three questions are this. Jesus contrasts two different kinds of people in verses 1 and 2. What is said about each one? What does he say in verses 3 and 4 about the shepherd? And how do the sheep respond to the shepherd in verses 4 and 5? Let's go ahead and discuss. Okay, before we read on to the next part of this passage, I want to take a time out and describe a few things about ancient Israel and shepherds and sheep. Listen up. Uh, Back in the ancient days in Israel... They were, uh, of course, were a shepherding people, and so they would, they would have uh, many people own sheep, of course. And so what they would do is there would be uh, several shepherds in one area, and at nighttime, here's what they would do. They would um, rent or lease a, a fenced-in area, like a big stone wall with one open area, the door. Okay? And what they would do is these shepherds would get, they would say, let's hire this guy to be the night watchman to watch over our sheep. So three or four or five or six shepherds would actually merge all their sheep together into one big pen at night. They'd pay the watchman to watch over their sheep during the evening. And they'd come back the next morning and they would actually come. Each shepherd would walk to the, to the fold and they would actually call out their sheep. And they, the sheep would know their name. The sheep would be led out by that shepherd into the pasture, into the green pasture. So it says here that um, it's just giving you that picture, okay? And the people like you guys are asking, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? He explains himself in verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says, Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and he will go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Your next question is this. How does this passage redefine our concept of freedom? Go ahead and discuss. Okay, I want to come back to the front real quick and we'll move on to the next part here. Um, 
Alright, in this passage, what's up? In this passage, Jesus is saying that he is the one who stands in the doorway between this fold and this green pasture, and that we enter into salvation through him. That's the picture he's using, is we enter into the salvation through him. He is the only one that we can walk through to have salvation. Now, when he says this phrase, others that came before me were thieves and robbers. Here's who he's talking about. He's talking about people in Israel that were kings that claimed to be kings that could save the people. They were like messiahs, but they were like poser messiahs. Okay? They they couldn't fulfill what Christ was going to fulfill. They were like poser messiahs. You guys know what a poser is, of course. Someone that pretends to be someone that they're not. This is what these kings were. They were essentially people who were deceptive. They would steal from Israel. They had their own interests in mind, not Israel's interests in mind, not God's interests in mind. And so Jesus is contrasting himself to these thieves and these robbers, these former leaders, leaders of Israel. Now, verse 9, I think, is profound. I want you to read this again. Verse 9, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out. And the last phrase, in fine pasture. Here's what he's saying. That in Jesus Christ, you will find what you are looking for. Only in Jesus Christ will you find the things that you're looking for. I want you to understand this idea of sin. Whenever you guys walk off into sin, there is something that you're looking for that you will not find there. And Jesus is saying here that you will find that thing that you're looking for only in Him. That satisfaction only in Christ. In verse 10, He says, He refers to this idea of having it to the full, living life to the full. Everyone, everyone who's on this pathway called life is looking for life to the full. It's why people make stupid decisions. They're looking for a full life. And Jesus says, you will find it only in me. People look for this full life in all kinds of places, but they will only find it in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says here that the thief takes life, but Christ gave his life so that you and I could have life. That is powerful. And he gives a life that is not restricted, not constrained, but one that is overflowing. The phrase here in the Greek, life to the full, Here's what it means. It means a super abundance, an overabundance, a life that cannot be contained, a life that cannot be restrained, a life that cannot be restricted, one that just kind of bursts out, a super abundance, an overabundance. What he's saying is that following Christ is not a half life, it is not a constricted life. It is not a straight jacket. It is the fullest, most complete life someone can possibly live. So that when you choose to follow Jesus, you are choosing life plus. When you choose sin, you are choosing life minus. 
You're choosing a half-life when you choose sin. You're choosing an overabundance when you choose Christ. That's what it means when he says, I give you life to the full. So the question is, how do you apply that to your life? Because I, I know in this room that many of you in this room are chasing things that feel like freedom. But in the end, they will kill you. If not physically, then spiritually. Some of you right now are chasing things right now that if left to yourself, you don't return to Christ, you will die spiritually. Because many of us have bought the lie that true freedom is not found in Christ. You think that freedom is to create your own truth. That's where you think freedom is. So back to our main point today. Freedom is more complex than we think. You see, most people see freedom as just being able to do whatever you want without constraint. Right? Many of you are probably in tug-of-war right now with your parents over this concept that this is what I want to do. You've got constraints on me, restraining my freedom. I don't like that. And so you see freedom as this very simple idea that I'm in a straitjacket, I'm confined, I'm constrained, I don't like this. This does not feel like freedom. I want to show you this morning how complex this idea of freedom really is. I'll give you an example. Uh, who in this room plays an instrument? Only four people play an instrument? Or a few of you. All right, who in this room plays some kind of sport? All right. All right, these two examples, music and sports, they'll both work for this analogy. Now, when you first began to play your instrument, what did your teacher tell you to do? Practice. What did they say? They said, hey, carve out some time in your day, every day, and practice. When you played sports, what did your coach tell you to do? Practice. What was that? Buy some steroids. Buy some steroids. <laughs> what coach was that, by the way? We don't, we don't want to drop any names. Um, so, so when you look at the idea of music and sports, here's what your coaches or teachers will tell you. They will say, carve out this time to practice. Carve out this time to work on your craft. What they are telling you to do, listen, listen. Listen up. What they are telling you to do is to restrict your freedom just a bit. Why? They're telling you that so that you can learn to play better so that a new freedom can then be unleashed. Because when you learn how to play an instrument, at some point, it's really hard and difficult at first. I tried to learn guitar a few years ago, and the calluses on my fingers, they hurt really, really bad. But as I got past that, as I got through that difficulty, you start to play better. You start to play your sport better. And in the context of the game, or in the context of the concert, playing becomes natural, right? And because you restricted your freedom back here, a new freedom is now unleashed over here, once you become better. I'll give you another example. How many of you would walk into your house? Anybody have a fish tank at their house with a fish in it? 
or some fish in it? Fish tank? How many of you guys would walk into your home and see the fish in the fish tank? And you'd say, wait a second. That fish is confined. He's constrained. He shouldn't be all locked up in that little fish tank. Let's take him out and put him on the kitchen table. Let him run around a little bit. Okay? If you did that, your parents would probably be really upset, right? No, no. (laughs) They would applaud. So the kids have the fish, but the parents don't like the fish as a pet. Pets are... Fish are bad pets anyway. You can't really pet the fish, right? They're just too scaly and nasty. Okay? But here's the point. Listen up. Here's the point. The point is the fish needs certain restrictions in order to be free, correct? It needs to be somewhat confined in order to be free, to be used in the way that God intended it. It seems like it's confined, but really it's free. Right? And you pull it out of the fish tank, that's the same thing as what we do with sin. You and I, we live in certain ways in which we were not created for that way of living. That's what sin is. And it kills you spiritually. It kills you. Because some restrictions, some limitations are good limitations. So the point isn't freedom or not being free. The point is, what kinds of freedoms are good freedoms to have? That's the point. I'll give you another example. Think about a relationship. Being in a relationship with the opposite sex, is it restriction or is it freedom? The guys are like, it's restriction. The girls are like, it's freedom. Oh my gosh. Something. Right? So who would say it's restriction? Who would say it's freedom? Who would say it's both? The both are right. It is both. Let me describe what I'm talking about. Listen up. Listen up. Being in a relationship with someone like that is it's, it's both. It's restriction and it's freedom. And let me say it to you this way. There's a rule for relationships, and it's this. We lose independence to gain greater intimacy, right? We lose our independence in a relationship so we can have greater intimacy, so we can be closer to that person, right? I'll give you another example. If Imagine if at the football game on Friday... There was, let's say that, let's say you're a guy, there's a guy and a girl, they're in a relationship. Let's say that in front of the girl, the boyfriend walks over to another girl and kisses her right on the face. Alright? What if that happened? What if that happened? And let's say, who's clapping? And, And listen, listen, listen. And what if the girlfriend just stood there and did nothing? All of her friends, listen, all of her friends would be like, are you crazy? You're going to let him get away with that? You're going to let him treat you that way? You're going to let him just walk all over you like that? But the point is, when you're in a relationship with someone, you willfully lose some independence so you can have a greater, greater relationship. That's part of the relationship package. Now, if that is true of our relationship with each other, 
If it's true in our relationship with husband and wife, boyfriend and girlfriend, then how much greater is it true of our relationship with God? Because human beings are alive and free in relationships of love. But with love, there does come a loss of independence. But I will say this, ask anyone who is in a healthy, good relationship, the relationship feels like freedom. The relationship is freedom. Now, there are some rules to it, but the rules are there to support the relationship. They're there to serve the relationship. This is why if you're someone who doesn't get the idea that Christianity is a relationship with Christ, and it's not just a bunch of rules... If you're someone who sees it as just a bunch of rules, it's because you don't see that the rules are there to support the relationship. You're missing that. And so we can say it this way, freedom is not creating your own truth, but freedom is submitting to the truth. Freedom is not to create your own truth, but freedom is to submit yourself to the truth. To close out this morning, I want to have you finish with one last question at your tables. And I'm well aware that everyone at the table may not be here yet in the sense of understanding this idea of freedom. But for those of you that have grown to a place with Christ, here's the question. When did you begin to see following Christ as real freedom instead of only restriction? Go ahead and share those stories at your tables. When you're done, close out in prayer at your tables, and you'll be dismissed. Thank you.